Are you confident of your authority in Jesus Christ? Do you know that you have his authority? How you answer those questions will have everything to say and will definitely reveal whether you are winning the war for your heart or not. Welcome to freedom, becoming fully alive. Let's pray for our time this morning. Lord, we do thank you for this time. And Lord, we, uh, we love your word. We love you, Lord. Your word says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So Lord, we want to be free, not just for freedom's sake, but for your sake and for your glory. So Lord, make this time this morning a time that you speak to our hearts. And even today, Lord, even today, open our eyes. Even today, open our hearts. Even today, change us, transform us, and have your way with us, Lord, for your glory and your pleasure. We commit this time to you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So glad you're here today. We are in the third part of this series called Freedom, Becoming Fully Alive. The name of this particular part, part three, is Winning the War for Your Hearts. In session one of this part, Tearing Down Spiritual Strongholds, we talked about the fact that we are in a war. We identify the enemy, Satan, and his terrorist band, and we came to realize more clearly that the war is for our hearts, but that our, but our hearts are a treasure, not trouble. They used to be trouble before we surrendered our lives to Jesus. Now they're a treasure, and a treasure is worth fighting for. In that first session, we talked about developing a battle plan to tear down, even demolish, the enemy's influence in our lives and to ensure victory and freedom for our hearts. In the second session, putting on the armor of God, we talked about putting on our battle attire. And the armor of God is Christ himself. He is, as we put on the helmet of salvation, he is our salvation. As we put on the breastplate of, breastplate of righteousness, he is our righteousness. He is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. He is the truth as we gird our loins with the belt of truth. He is our readiness as we put on our sandals, shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He is our shield, quenching all the fiery darts of the enemy. He is our life. He is our attire. He is the armor of God. And we came to realize more clearly in that session that uh, this is not a personal battle, but this is the Lord's battle. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give us the victory. In the third session, Taking Every Thought Captive, we talked about cultivating a disciplined mindset that is always battle-ready. The discipline of bringing every thought, taking every thought captive, rather, and making it obedient to our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. Included in our discussion that day, we talked about rejecting all victim thinking, orphan thinking, hired hand thinking, or servant girl thinking, because we're, we're sons, we're daughters. So rejecting all stinking thinking, if you will, anything that comes against, doesn't agree with, doesn't match up with who God is, what he says, what he wants, what his will is a battle-ready mindset. And then in session four, Escaping Temptation, we talked about Jesus, Jesus himself. Not quoting a verse, the word of God is wonderful, but Jesus himself, as we quote a verse, or, or one or more verses, and as we believe the word of God, but Jesus himself is the way of escape. He is the one that defines us. Not everything that comes on the radar screen of our consciousness, there's things that we think about, things that come to our minds and hearts that are not who we are. And we talked about being able to discern and, and uh, distinguish what is from God and what is not, and to reject that which is not. Temptations don't define us. And we also talked about exposing the enemy's plan to have us believe 
the message of the arrows, that message of pride, shame, rejection, fear, anger, and depression. That's the message of the arrows, the message of the enemies to attack our hearts, to shut us down. In the same way, in session three, that we talked about taking every thought captive in session four, escaping temptation, it's not a matter of retreating. It's not a matter of a retreat. It's a matter of escape because what the enemy is up to is he wants temptations to lead to captivity. In the same way we need to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, the enemy wants to use temptation to take us captive. And we become captivated. We become captives as we yield to sin. Jesus is our way of escape. Temptation is not sin. Sin is not temptation. We talked about that. And rejecting anything and everything on our radar screen that doesn't agree with the truth. And not holding ourselves responsible, not getting down on ourselves, not feeling condemned, not feeling less than, not feeling inferior if we have a temptation. And not assume that just because we have one, that's what we want to do. That's who we are. No, no, no. Believing him, Jesus, our commander-in-chief, let him have the last say. Let him define us as to who we are. And as we continue on in this series today, exercising your spiritual authority is the title of our session today. It's been nearly eight years since the Lord set me free-free, not just free, free-free, non-issue, as you remember last time, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about when something becomes a non-issue, it doesn't mean that it doesn't appear on your radar screen. It doesn't mean you're never tempted. But when it is on your radar screen, when it does come to your mind, it has no power over you. It's there. You know what it is. It has no pull, no grab, seemingly no power. Non-issue. Non-issue. I love it when things become a non-issue, that God wants to become a non-issue. So rejection, nearly eight years ago, became a non-issue. I'd struggled for years and years and years in terms of it being on the radar screen of my consciousness. I had repented of running my life. I had repented of idolatry. I had repented of making the approval of certain ones too important. I had gone through a wonderful, I can say wonderful now, uh, painful, but I can say purposeful now, process of being drawn closer and closer to the Lord and becoming more and more confident in my authority in Jesus Christ. How do we become confident in our authority? I'm going to be sharing some things today that are going to contribute to that desire and that end. That's what God wants. That's what God wants. Not just that we know but that we're confident, not faith in faith, but faith in the one, agreeing with God, whether we feel it or not, but a confidence. You've heard it said when people will refer to Tiger Woods or whoever hitting a golf ball, and they'll say, he hit that with authority, or a baseball player, he knocked it out of the ballpark with authority. Well, in that context, we see it's a combination of competence and confidence. With the Lord, we have much reason to be confident, and he is our competence. <laughs> and there's nobody more competent than him. But it was eight years ago, nearly. It was a day, you could say it was the day of deliverance. Oh, it was a glorious day. And it's so wonderful to be free. But what led up to that day was a series of events that brought me to the realization, actually through my wife, when she said, I believe, in so many words, she said, there's another, there's another part to this. And the part of it is, I believe there's a generational influence here coming through your mother. My mother's here. It's nothing against her. But it came through the generations, a spirit of rejection, 
And Mindy identified that. She spoke it out. She said, I believe you've got a spirit of rejection. I believe it came through your mother. And obviously the Lord wants to set you free, but she presented it me. She, Mindy presented it in such a way she said, um, before you pray, you need to decide whether you really want to be free. And of course, when I first heard that, I, I thought, what do you mean? <laughs> of course I want to be free. But I quickly came to my senses and didn't allow it to be a, a pride issue because I wanted to be free. I had come to the point, though, interestingly enough, I had come to the point where I had told the Lord, Lord, you're enough, you are sufficient, you are my life, you are my desire, and if this continues to appear on my radar screen the rest of my life, if this continues to dog me the rest of my life, if I continue to drag this ball and chain around the rest of my life, it doesn't define me. It's not who I am. It keeps coming on my radar screen. It keeps posing itself. It, it keeps trying to bring me down. But if you want to use it, Lord, to give me occasion after occasion after occasion, to yield to you, renew my mind, exercise my faith muscles, delight myself more in you, draw me closer to you, then that's fine. I accept that. Because my goal is not freedom for freedom's sake. My goal is you, Lord, more of you, more of the infinite you, more love, more power, more of you, more of you for you. You are my desire. Well, that's where the Lord wanted me. And then shortly thereafter, he set me free, free from that which had dogged me for years. So we sat down, Mindy and I. I began to pray. I began to take authority over this spirit of rejection. And the more I prayed as I really entered in, a confidence welled up in me. A holy anger welled up in me. A realization that I had been robbed welled up in me. Because I'm a son not an orphan. I'm a son, not a hired hand. I'm one of his sons. I'm one of his favored sons, as we are as sons and daughters. The revelation came. The Lord opened my heart. Uh, the holy, a holy anger rose up, and it was like a declaration came forth. The thief will steal no more. And an authority, his authority, rose up in me, and I took authority over that spirit of rejection, and I commanded it to go where Jesus says to go, and I was free that day. I know what it's like not to be free. <laughs> I know what it's like to be free. I know what it takes to be free. I love being free, and I want to convince you, you can be free of whatever you desire to be free of, and more importantly, what God desires you to be free of. So the Lord takes us through a process. And many times that process is painful. It's hard at times. It's purifying. It's not easy. So we're not talking about exercising our authority from the standpoint of like the sons of, of Sceva, if you will. Let's turn to Acts 19. Acts 19, starting with verse 11. And I'll read an account that points out a very important principle. Acts 19, starting with verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, I adjure you, I adjure you by Jesus, whom, whom Paul preaches, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, lost my place. Please forgive me. The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man, 
And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So we're not just talking about, oh, this sounds good. Steve was set free from rejection. I want to be set free from some things. This sounds pretty good. In the name of Jesus, do this. In the name of Jesus, set me free from that. What this account points out that I just read is that if we don't come under the authority of Jesus, if we're not under the authority of Jesus and in relationship with him, having repented of running our lives and put him first, and he is our life, he is our authority, our father, our friend, our life, if we don't come under his authority, we have no basis to exercise his authority. So they were trying to do something, mentioning the words, mentioning the name, but the name wasn't enough. The name wasn't enough. They needed to know the person. They needed to know the one who is all authority. And then under his lordship, under his authority, they could exercise, we can exercise the authority of Christ. So I'd gone through a process of God working in my heart, molding and shaping me, purifying me, drawing me closer to him. He was and is my authority, fully submitted to him. So that when the day of deliverance came, I was confident in him and confident in his authority. And I was merely exercising his authority. There's a difference between power and authority. There is some overlap, but there are some distinctives. The big red will be taking the field soon. The practices have begun. But when they get out on the field this year, you know, those 300-pound linemen are going to be a, a wonderful, uh, imposing force paving the way for the big red to march down the field. And those speedy receivers, if you will, and those quick uh, running backs, but there's a group, there will be a group of men on the field that will have the authority. <laughs> there's a lot of young men on the field that are going to have a lot of power, but there are these guys in black and white shirts that have the authority, and nobody's going anywhere unless they keep those yellow flags in their pockets. So there is a difference between power and authority. And I say that because you may think, you know, I'm no match. I'm no match for Satan. I mean, he's been around a long time. He's studied me for years. He goes way back. He is cunning. He is deceptive. And he's got a whole lot more power than I do. You're right. But we're not talking about matching up with him. We're talking about Christ's authority and the one who is all authority and is all power and has defeated the works of the devil already. A law enforcement officer would be another example. An intersection, if you can envision an intersection, trucks and cars and semis, but it's amazing what that man or woman <clears throat> in that blue outfit can do. It's amazing the authority they wield with that little whistle in a raised hand. They've got the right attire on. They've got the authority. And they can make semis stop and not go. They don't have to be powerful. They've got the authority. And then another example, the space shuttle, when those space shuttles launch, because of the gravitational pull on planet Earth, it takes a lot to get a, a lot to take, to get a, a spaceship off of this planet. A lot of power. But that shuttle will not launch until and unless mission control says cleared for launch. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Ignition power liftoff. It's got to be, we've got to have a green light from mission control. They've got the authority. The shuttle's got the power. God's got it all. He lives in us. But don't think that you've got to be powerful. I think that is so important for us to realize because I think we think we've got to have a lot of faith. We've got to have a lot of maturity. We've got to have a lot of this. We set a standard that I don't think God is setting. Oh, yes, we need to know him more intimately. Oh, yes, we want to grow in him. Oh, yes, we want to know who we are. Oh, yes, we want to grow. 
but he doesn't want us focused on how powerful we are. It's his authority that we're talking about, confidence in his authority. It's interesting that um, since that day, eight years ago, almost eight years ago, my confidence has grown even more and more. But it's confidence in him, not in me. And it's a confidence that comes through relationship, through relationship with him. In your outline on the cover, it says our theme passage for today, Luke 10, verses 17 through 20, where it says Jesus had just sent out 72 or 70, depending on your translation, of his followers, and he had sent them out to heal the sick. He had sent them out to declare that the kingdom of God is near. And they returned in Luke 10, 17 through 20. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I've given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. However, do not result, do not rejoice, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's a condensed version. There's uh, more to that passage, but I read a, con a condensed version. The emphasis, I think, I believe is very significant. Oh yes, it's true. Followers, disciples, it's true. It's true. You have authority over evil spirits. It's true. Rejoice. Yes, rejoice. But rejoice even more. Rejoice even more that your names are written in heaven. What does that mean? Rejoice even more that you're mine. Rejoice even more that you're sons and daughters. Rejoice even more because of who you are. Because that is, that is really the heart of how Jesus um, lived and ministered on planet Earth. Because no matter what came at him, mocked or reviled, judged or whatever, and even to the point of crucified, he did not answer in return. He didn't try to straighten anybody out. He knew who he was. He knew whose he was. He knew why he was here. And he came to do the will of the authority. He had authority. He had authority. And uh, those that were around him at that time marveled at that authority. And let's uh, read an account from Mark, the first chapter, which points that out. Mark 1. Mark 1. 27. 23 through 27. Jesus was in the temple. Verse 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed of an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed. They were so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching? And with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. They noted the authority of Jesus. The authority because he was the Son of God. The authority because he knew who he was and he knew whose he was. I'd like us just to pause for a moment and consider. Do you know the authority you have? And how confident are you? in that authority. Are you confident in your authority? That's going to make all the difference. Knowing him is going to be the key to that. Knowing what's true of him. And let me read another verse. Let's turn to uh, Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. A prayer from the Apostle Paul, which I believe is so significant. Ephesians 1, 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably, in other words, without any comparison, great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things, all things, all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. We're talking about the one who's the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who's been given supremacy over all. And there's another reference here that is a classic example of this, and this would be in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, starting with verse 5, but let's pick it up at verse 9. Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The pathway to that, though, was he humbled himself. He became of no reputation. He laid aside his divine prerogatives. He didn't react to humanity. He didn't try to straighten us out. When we were gambling at the foot of the cross, when we mocked and reviled him, when we set him up, that so-called trial that led to him being crucified. But, but even then, I, even as I say that, he wasn't a victim. He was wronged. He was betrayed. He was sinned against by the human race, but he wasn't a victim. Because still, over it all, transcending it all, he came to do the will of the Father. Mission accomplished. So then in Hebrews, when it says, for the joy set before him, do you know who the joy is? It wasn't just an emotional flood. We are the joy. We are the joy set before him. That's why he endured the cross, despising its shame. It was for us. It was for the joy of purchasing us, redeeming us, setting us free, making us his own, delivering us from the marketplace of sin. We are the joy, the purchased joy, if you will. That is why he came. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he died. It was for love, the love of the Father expressed through the Son, came to planet Earth, poured out his Holy Spirit after he was raised to the dead, from the dead and, and ascended. So knowing the one who is all authority, do we know that one? I pray that we're knowing him more and more intimately because to know him is to love him and to know him is to know who you are. Psychology is the study of man so that man can understand him or herself better. We will not get to understand ourselves better by studying ourselves. It will only be by knowing God that we will know who we are, though we aren't God, but only through God and his view and his wisdom and his perspective will we ever know who we are. The more you know him, the more you know who you are. The more you'll know your need for him, the more you'll know what's true about you in him if you've surrendered your life to him. You'll know you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You'll know that there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. You know you're, you're washed by the blood of the Lamb. You'll know you're clean, holy, pure. You'll not identify with your history. You'll identify with his story, who he is. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's liberating. Christ in us. The hope of glory, pulling out the arrows of pride, pulling out the arrows of shame, not the sum total of our life's experiences or some part thereof, pulling out the arrow of fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Are we convinced? Are we convinced? Are we convinced? He wants to take care of us. Are we convinced? He loves us with an everlasting love. He wants to convince us. He wants to be our hope. He wants to be our life. So I can see in my journey as I focused on him and sought to know him more and more and welcomed anything and gave thanks and gave thanks along the way. That's a key component. If you want more authority released in your life, more Holy Spirit authority released in your life, give thanks. Live a life of giving thanks. Live a life of giving thanks for all things. There is great authority. There is great Holy Spirit authority released 
as you give thanks in and for all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, no matter how it feels, no matter how painful, no matter what. It's not giving thanks because it feels good. It's not giving thanks because it's pleasant, but it's, you're giving thanks because you want God to use it for your good, and you've taken on a mindset and a heart attitude that whatever it takes for him to have his way with me, to mold and shape me into his image, to break me, to shape me, to whatever he wants, put me in the oven and leave me there as long as you want, Lord. Turn up the heat, whatever it takes. I trust you because you're good. You can only, get, you can only do me good even if it doesn't feel good. It will produce good because you're good. You love me, Lord. You are love, so you can only love me even though I may not feel love because I'm not getting what I want or things aren't going well and I'm wondering, where are you? But he loves me. He can only, he can only do that which is love, even if it doesn't feel like love. But when I submit to him, authority is released. And also it's the principle of coming against things in the opposite spirit. Jesus lived that way, though I really don't think he thought of it that way. I don't think he thought of it when he, when he was being mocked and reviled. He was thinking, okay, I'll just come against this in the opposite spirit. He was here. He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. He was here to do the will of the Father. But what did he teach us when he was on planet Earth? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Don't repay evil for evil. A soft answer turns away wrath. He was the example, mocked and reviled, but did not answer and return, but entrusted himself to him who judges fairly. Didn't try to set the record straight. Didn't say, time out. You guys don't understand me. Give me some time, and we, we need to straighten things out. I just think we have a, a communication problem here. What we have is a problem to communicate. I'm going to stay with it until you agree. No, no, no. He did not need the agreement of man. He had the favor of his father, he himself being God. The second person of the Trinity, he didn't need man to agree or understand or even like it. He was on a love mission, though. <laughs> it wasn't an independent spirit. It was like, I don't care whether you like it or not, I'm going to die for you anyway. No, no, no. <laughs> Agreement wasn't the goal. Obeying, obeying his, uh, his father, that was it. So when we're in situations, do we, have to set, do we have to set the record straight? Are we worried about our reputation? Are we willing to be of no reputation? Do we pray for those who persecute us? I love what it says of the word of God, though the reference is not fresh in my mind right now. But he, as your ways are pleasing to the Lord, he will even give peace. He'll give you peace with your enemies. He'll even, even give you peace with your enemies when your ways are pleasing to the Lord. Does that mean that we become a pushover? Does that mean we become passive? Does that mean we just stuff it well? You know, we get wronged all the time. We get mistreated all the time. But I'll just stuff it because I've got to be a smiling, compliant, always composed and poised Christian. No, no, no. There may be times... In private, that we are pouring out our hearts to the Lord, crying out to the Lord, complaining to the Lord, just like King David. Why, 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 Lord? Why are you allowing it, Lord? Do I have to go through this another day, Lord? When is it going to stop, Lord? Nevertheless, 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 thy will be done. Nevertheless, mold and shape me into your image. Nevertheless, break me. Nevertheless, I pray for them and have your way with them, Lord even as I want you to have your way with me. Nevertheless, get all the mileage out of this you can, Lord. Nevertheless, make me a whole person. Because it's more important who I'm becoming than whether they do right or wrong. That's your, that's your concern, Lord. Their life is your concern. And Lord, if you want me to be a part of the solution, if you want me to confront, if you want me to say anything, it needs to be because I've already forgiven them. It needs to be because I'm committed to their well-being. I'm not confronting them for my sake. I'm confronting them for your sake and for their sake. So I want my, my motives to be pure, Lord, if I do say anything. But meanwhile, Lord, submission, 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 active per, per, submission, not repression, not suppression, submission, submission, active, proactive, submit, submit, submit. James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee as we are grooved 
in a life of submission to him, the authority of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords will become more manifest in our lives. Not for our sake, not for us to wield our power around. I'm such a powerful person. Doesn't everybody know it? No, no, no. We might be outspoken or we might be quiet, but there is an authority. We carry an authority. We carry a, a moral authority, if you will. We all know what it's like. We've all had this experience to be working with or around or be in relationship with those who have a position. And with that position, they have authority. But if they don't walk their talk, if they're not a person of character and integrity, if they're not the real thing, if they're not authentic, how much influence will they have? Not much for very long. That's part of what God's up to also as far as this spiritual authority. It's not just wielding the positional thing. Okay, let's, let's make uh, some logical deductions here. I've surrendered my life to the Lord. He lives in me. He is all power. Wow, I can do it. Logical conclusion, position, do it, pray it. Put your trust in the prayers. Oh, there must be something wrong with my prayers. There must... No, 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 no. It, it's got to be relational. It's got to be deeper than that. It's got to be out of a confidence that you know he loves you. You know he's for you. You're willing. You just want him to have his way. You're not wielding his authority for you to get your way. You've got the fear of the Lord. And when he says, ask anything in my name and I will do it, it is in the context that he already knows you want what he wants. So you're not going to be asking for something selfish or fleshly, but you're in relationship with him and you already want what he wants. You're in tune with him. You're one with him. So you're living and asking and exercising this authority out of relationship, love relationship with him. So may we be people under submission to him. We have no authority unless we are. We don't have his authority to, to wield. And may we be people of moral authority, not just banking on the positional. Though it's true, we are in Christ. We have been raised up, as it says in the early verses of Ephesians, culminating with verse 6, we have been raised up together, Ephesians 2, 6, and made to sit down together in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, in what's true about him that I read earlier from Ephesians 1, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father far above all principalities and power, far above, and, at every, and every knee will bow, and every tongue confess. He is all authority, and we are seated in that one. We are one with him. It's true. But may we have a moral authority that we allow him to so invade us, so transform us. We have such a, a clear picture of reality. <laughs> We know we're not perfect. We know we even yield to sin at times. We know we're in process. But we know because of who we are and whose we are, we're still blameless because of him. We may not be sinless, but because of his life, he is our holiness, he is our righteousness, he is our purity, he is our strength, he is our life. So that's where we're putting our focus, in his life in us. What is the status of the enemy's authority? Well, according to Colossians 2, 19 through 15, or excuse me, 9 through 15, it says that, uh, that the enemy's powers and authority have been disarmed. As it says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And in 1 John 3, 8, the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. And in 1 John 5, 8 through 18 through 20, the one who was, who's born of God, he keeps safe. We're safe. He's our high tower, our place of safety. And it says, the evil one can not harm him. We're safe. We're secure. It occurs to me, however, if we've still got some arrows in us, those arrows will compete with, with confidence. 
If you're putting confidence in yourself, for example, if you've still got the arrow of pride in you, thinking too highly, thinking too lowly, thinking too much, you're always on your mind, that will not help confidence because you will be preoccupied with yourself instead of preoccupied with him. And you'll be preoccupied with your shortcomings and you'll be preoccupied with your history and your failures. Will that foster confidence? No, no, no. I'm not saying we should be in denial. I'm not saying that we should avoid it. We can look it square in the eyes. We can look at our history head on and agree with God about our history. <laughs> that he died. That his blood is enough. That we're sons and daughters. That we've got nothing to prove. So we're free to love and obey out of love. Not out of duty. Not trying to get love that we already have. Not trying to get acceptance we already have. But having been loved, forgiven, and accepted, we live like it. Not like orphans, not like hired hands, but as sons and daughters. And if that's not real to us today, make it real, Lord. Make it real and tailor make what we need for it to be real. You'll do that, Lord. You will do that. He's so good. He's so good. The arrow of shame. Are you the sum total of your life's experience? Are you stuck somewhere? Humble yourself. As you've heard me say before, every arrow is dipped in the arrow of pride, the poison of pride, I should say, the poison of pride. Because every arrow is going to have a self-focus. We're going to be on our mind too much. Instead of preoccupied with him as we're occupied with life and what he brings to our hand and what we're, what we're involved in and with, preoccupied with him, even as we're occupied with day-to-day -day life. And then fear. Oh, yes, Lord, give us revelation of your love. Convince us, Lord, that you want to take care of us. Convince us, Lord, you want to protect us. You will and you want to. And rejection. I'm familiar with that one. Oh, yes, the insecurity of it, the comparisons that I was guilty of. Oh, yes, but it was dipped in the poison of pride because I was always on my mind at those times. Whenever I yielded to that, I was also yielding to pride because I was always, I was preoccupied with myself at that time. I was not allowing God to have the last say. I wasn't agreeing with him about Steve. I wasn't grateful for what he had given me. I was comparing instead of being grateful for what he had given me and what he'd done in me and how he had gifted me. I was comparing. It's pretty hard to be humble and not be grateful, and it's pretty hard to be grateful and not be humble. They do go hand in hand. A humble heart is also going to be a grateful heart, and a grateful heart will be a humble heart. Agreeing with God. Don't, don't think of humility as a weakness. Don't think of humility as kind of dumbing it down a little, kind of gearing it down. Don't want to be too assertive. Don't want to be too outspoken. No, no, no. The expressions can vary, but the confidence is the same. At the core, it's agreeing with God. And when you agree with God, there should be an increasing confidence, which some may misread, so be wise. They may think, they may think you're pretty high on yourself. Make it easy for people to let you know you're coming across that way so you can become more sensitive not to come across that way. Be teachable. We need each other. Anger. Anger, the arrow of anger. Trying to control the outcome. You know, I would venture to say that as devout followers of Jesus Christ, we probably get angry at ourselves as much as anybody. <laughs> and uh, there's just another example of pride. We just, we just aren't getting it, are we? We're just not getting it. Been a believer for 10 years now. We're just not getting it. When are we going to get it? When are we going to be free? When are we going to have enough faith? When are we going to do the right thing? When are we going to take the right class? When are we going to read the right book? When is it going to happen? Submit to him. Submit to him. Whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes, you're the one. You're, you're my commander in chief. Get all the mileage you want. Make me the person you want me to be. And you know what you're up to, Lord. You know what you're up to. So I submit to you, whatever it takes. And then depression. Well, if we're not depressed by now, you can see how we could be. 
But the antidote is put your hope in God. Not yourself, not another person. Sometimes I'll hear people say, you know, I just don't trust that person. You know, trust has been broken, and I just don't know, I can, I just don't know if I could ever trust him again. And, I, and, and as I listen to that, I'm thinking, well, you know, it would be wonderful to have trust restored, but there's not a verse in the Bible that commands you to trust anybody anyway, except God. Yes, it may be a loss if you don't trust them again. It may be a loss. But you may never trust them again because they may never be trustworthy again. But... How about you? Are you trustworthy? That's where our focus needs to be. That we're more concerned about living rightly than requiring anyone else to do so. I think it's what I call kind of a sanctified double standard. I require no one to live the way they're supposed to. Anybody in relationship with me, I require no one to live the way they're supposed to. <laughs> but I require it of Steve. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to be a part of the solution by God's grace. I'm going to seek to be a part of the solution. If you want a friend, be a friend. If you want things to change, have it start with you. If you think this ought to be happening or that ought to be happening or things ought to be going this way, somebody ought to be behaving this way, they ought to be changing, you live it. You be it. And have no claim, no goal that they ever change. We can live that way when Jesus is sufficient and he is enough. When somebody goes, so, well, well, we're letting people off the hook. That's kind of a cop-out, isn't it? That's kind of over-spiritualizing it. I mean, they're wrong. They need to change. Isn't somebody going to point it out? Isn't somebody going to show them? I mean, you know, it's, it sounds like you're just kind of disconnecting and you're just you and Jesus and you're getting along great, but how about them? Well, the best way you can influence them is to put into practice what I've been saying. <laughs> God's going to have to make the issue with them, though, just like he's making the issue with us. We respond to him. That's what's going to make the difference with us. They're going to need to respond to him. Do you want them responding to you? That won't last. Pray they'll respond to him. What authority do we have? Oh, we've got, we know the one who is all authority. Do we have the fear of the Lord on that? Oh, we have authority to live. We have, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. We haven't talked about that. Authority to live the life. Power to live the life. Power to obey. Just like with a light switch there, the room was dark earlier. The light switch came on. Do you realize that when you obey, it reminds me of uh, Oswald Chambers in My Upmost for His Highest, when we obey, all the power of the Godhead is engaged. Yes. Not a moment too soon. Not a moment too late. Right then. Oh, we want it ahead of time. Lord, is the power there? Flip the switch now. I want to make sure. I want to make sure when I take this next step, we're powered up. No, as we step into that Jordan River, as we take that step of obedience, as we engage our wills, as we yield to him, he's not going to say, okay, go ahead, Steve. Go ahead, Steve. Oh, he may say that, he may not, but he wants me to live with the confidence then when I take that step, nothing will be lacking because he's given me everything I need for life and godliness. There's authority there, isn't there? His authority, his life, his power. Well, as we close our time today, how confident are you in your authority in Christ? Oh, yes, I'm not talking about a powerful resolve. Oh, I've got so much authority. I'm just going to go around. Who's got a demon? We'll cast it out. <laughs> come on, come on. No, 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 no. That's not how Jesus lived his life. He only did what the Father bid him to do. He wasn't trying to impress. He wasn't trying to prove anything. Don't live in such a way that you're trying to prove you have authority. It reminds me of a person at a job situation who's feeling insecure and maybe isn't experiencing a lot of moral authority, so he keeps reminding everybody he's in charge or she's in charge. Anybody, if you have to tell somebody you're in charge, you're not. <laughs> if you have to keep telling somebody you got the authority, you don't have that authority. You may have the position, but you don't have the authority. So what we're talking about, we have the position in Christ, seated in the heavenlies, far above all principalities and powers. And at the name of Jesus, every, tongue will every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Positionally true. 
But is there reality? Is there a moral authority? Is there a confidence that as we live and move and have our being, we are totally confident that we're sons, we're daughters, we're not hired hands, we're not beggars, we're not orphans. Sons and daughters don't have to beg. <laughs> we just live. We just live. And we let God be in charge of the outcome. <laughs> so let's close our time. And as we do, let's make some faith transactions. Uh, grab a piece of paper. Any pa piece of paper will do. And I want to give you an opportunity to come forward in just a moment. And write down on that piece of paper anything that you know has been hindering you knowing or exercising with confidence your authority in Christ. I'd like you to come in just a moment after I close in prayer. Leave it at the cross. Embrace your sonship or daughterhood in a whole new way. And as you walk out of this room today, be prepared to face obstacles. Be prepared to face opportunities. Be prepared to have temptations. Be prepared that we're still in a war zone. And there's a war for our hearts. But we're going to leave here giving God full permission. Full permission to do in us whatever it takes to make us, by his work of grace, make us confident in his authority. So that's what I'm asking you to do. Leave anything at the cross that you know is hindering and make your prayer, giving him permission to tailor make, tailor make circumstances, relationships, whatever it takes. Give him permission. A divine yes to him. A yes to the one who has divine yes. Give him permission to do whatever it takes to bring people into your life, whatever circumstances, whatever revelation from his word, whatever, give him total permission to tailor make his plan, to make his authority and confidence in it real to you. And he will. He will. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for these sons and daughters. Thank you for their willing hearts. Thank you for your work of grace. Thank you that you're at work here today. Thank you that it's not just limited to our time together, but that you continue to speak after we leave and we go to and fro. So, Lord, we cover this with your blood. Have your way, Jesus. You are all authority, and we submit to the one who is all authority to have total authority and to do whatever he wants to do in each life here for your purposes, for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes.